This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Welcome to Mind Your Business on SiriusXM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm Lauren Feldman. I used to be the senior editor of entrepreneurship at Forbes. I'm now chief content officer of a growing community of businesses called the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs. My assignment for the Oxford Center is to build a platform for business owners pretty much from scratch. We do have a morning newsletter called the Oxford Morning Report that is designed specifically for entrepreneurs and that you can check out now. Meanwhile, as usual today, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. This show is about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. If there's something you've been struggling with, if there's something that's holding you back, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And remember, this is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, someone else listening to this show is probably struggling with it too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. And back with us today to discuss your challenges and opportunities is Lou Mosca, Chief Operating Officer of American Management Services. Lou's a regular contributor at Forbes.com and a regular guest on this show. American Management Services is based in Orlando. It's a consulting firm that helps business owners, which is why Lou always brings us interesting stories from the front lines. Welcome back to the show, Lou. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. Very good. What's going on? Uh, you tell me. How's business? <laughs> you know, you always ask me that. <laughs> and, well, sometimes I'm not sure what to tell you exactly. Well, the economy's so good, I imagine you've got nothing to do. Who, why, why does does anybody need your help right now? You know what's interesting is I, I will tell you at least 50% of our clients almost always are doing very well, and they want to do better, or they want to solidify what they have, or they want to make sure that the transition to the next generation is where it needs to be. And about 50% of our clients at any point in time are really having uh, some degree of distress. So Interesting. Uh, Rega- kind of regardless of the economy, it's, it's not necessarily about that. Yeah, I mean, the economy supposedly is booming right now, and I'm going to tell you 50% of our clients have different degrees of distress, sales, profit, cash, union problems, cash problems, bank problems. I'm going to tell you there's at least 50% with that right now. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any... Uh... Any particular highlights, uh, conversations you've had recently that you would call to our attention, something uh, somebody's struggling with that you think our listeners might get something out of? Um, you know, I, I would tell you that uh, most of our clients, uh, you know, 50 60% of our clients are usually manufacturers or contractors. And, you know, they're having similar issues that a lot of other people are having, and that is getting good folks. And sometimes it's not a matter of getting folks, it's getting folks you want. So they're all still struggling with uh, uh, similar issues. That does seem and to come up every time you're on the show. We usually does, get a call from somebody yep. who just can't find people to hire. Yep, yep. And I, I've, I've always had a belief that you're not finding them, and it's your fault. <laughs> Do your clients want to hear that? Does anyone? <laughs> you know, but I do believe, I do believe that... Uh, there's a lot of talent out there. There's a lot of um, folks that see a stronger economy and feel that there's better opportunities for them. 
which should create opportunities for you as an owner to, to find them. Now it's a matter of what you do and how you do it. But I do believe people can't find folks, and it's their own fault. What's the biggest mistake them. they're making? They don't put in the effort that they need to in recruiting. So everybody puts in a full-time effort in driving revenue, or everybody puts in a full-time effort in driving a truck or putting a roof on or manufacturing the widgets. But most people do not have a full-time effort in recruiting. They post a job on uh, a job board or they run an ad on LinkedIn or something, and they think it's going to work. And that's not good enough anymore. You have to work at recruiting like you are working at driving revenue, dealing with a bank. It's got to be a full-time effort. And most companies don't do that. Now, I'm talking about most companies that are under $10 million in revenue, Lauren. I'm not talking about sure. you know, $200 million companies with 12 departments. Although they sometimes have problems, too. They do. They do. Uh, you mentioned that a lot of your uh, clients are in manufacturing. I'm, I'm curious. I just saw the story today. Uh, Ford is saying that it could uh, see its profits fall by a billion dollars because of just specifically because of the tariffs uh, that a lot of people are talking about. Are you hearing that uh, conversation from your clients? Well, you know, it's um, to me, it's a little bit bizarre because up until. I'm going to guess a week or 10 days ago, I haven't heard it from anyone. Not one client that we deal with has told us that there's a tariff issue for them or, or impending cost increases for them. Not one. And then the first one popped up about yeah, maybe the beginning of last week, and it was a manufacturer, and it was in the Midwest. And he sort of took it in stride. His, his comment was, yep, it's going to cost me more money. I'm going to pass along whatever I can. I'm going to try and reduce whatever um, variable cost that I can because I don't think it's going to be permanent. I think at some point reality has to set in for everybody. And it was about a $6 million um, iron worker. And it was, um, you know, he just sort of took it in stride. I've been waiting for people to be, like, screaming and yelling at me like I did something wrong. hasn't happened. Wait, was this client somebody who's making something in China or somebody who's bringing in materials? Actually, he's bringing in about a third of his materials, and the other two-thirds of his materials are sourced here. But even so, you know, he just said, look, he just took it. I was, Lauren, I was just, you know, these small business owners can get very emotional. They're very emotional and passionate about their business, and they should be. And most of them have built it like it's their children, like they've raised it. Great respect. Um, and this gentleman was just very even keel. It's going to go up. It's going to cost me more. I'm going to pass along what I can. I'm going to look at trimming whatever cost that I can. I don't want to hurt my people. And I believe in three, six, 12 months it will work its way out. I'm like, okay, okay. Do I agree with that philosophy? I'm not so sure. But that was his philosophy. But it's only been one. Where, where, do you, where might you disagree, Lou? What, what would you suggest? Um, I'm, I'm always the kind of guy I want to try and be ahead of whatever the problem is going to be if it's possible. So I think that um, every dollar of business you're doing nowadays, if you know that you might be impacted by tariffs, you need to make sure that your pricing is flexible enough to adjust for it. And if you can, have your customer or your client agree that you're going to maintain a certain profit margin no matter what. And as you prove to them that your costs went up or went down, you can pass that cost along to them, even if it's 30 days in arrears. But you need to try to do that, and I think a lot of people don't do it. And I still think we had a conversation many, many, many months ago, you and I, and I think you had somebody else call in that day. I'm not sure, but people are timid to raise prices. Well, if, if Ford's prices are going to go up, if they're going to lose a billion dollars because of tariffs, 
you're going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. They're not just going to eat the billion dollars. They're not afraid to do that. And they well, especially if the price. other uh, car companies are facing sure. similar uh, issues. Sure. It's usually the small business guy that's a little um, – the independent business owner is a little – intimidated or hesitant to raise prices and I actually talked with someone this past Saturday who told me because we kept kicking him in the fanny he looks at his pricing now every week not monthly wow. not quarterly not annually every week because he said you know stuff can move but if you're not watching it all the time two or three four months go by and it could cost you X amount of dollars so he's now analyzing his pricing every week he was a three million dollar company it wasn't a, wasn't a huge business, but he said, I watch it every week now. I have my bookkeeper every week come in and bring me a report of what we paid for X last week, what was the unit cost versus the prior week, the prior month, and the prior year. So he's on it. Now, what he does about it might be a different story, but as an owner, you need to be aware of everything that's going on in your world. I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Lou Mosca. If you have a question about your business, if you're struggling with a particular issue, uh, if you just have a comment on what's going on in the economy right now and how it's affecting you, call us. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Uh, Lou, this, that's kind of a perfect segue into... Uh, a conversation that we promised we would have on Twitter, so we actually have to have it, uh, something you like to talk about and you've discussed here before, which is what business owners need to do to manage their margins. Um, you, uh, you like to tell people, I gather, correct me if I'm wrong, that you, know, you don't just wait and see whether you hit your margins or not. You have to keep an eye on that and do what it takes to hit your goals. Okay, so this, this is going to sound slightly like an infomercial, and I truly don't mean it to be this. We believe that you need to manage your business from the bottom up, not from the top down. So I don't think I've met my 20-plus years at American Management, Lauren. I bet you I've touched, oh, my God, 1,000, 2,000 business owners, maybe more, maybe 3,000. I don't know. And I bet you I haven't met a handful that manage from the bottom up. And what I mean by that is that, you know, pro profit should be your first line item of expense. So if you're in business and you're, you know, you're Jay Goltz and you're doing $10 million a year doing picture frames, on that $10 million a year, he should get a specific return as an owner. Not what his salary should be, not what his payroll should be. That you get for having a functional role. But if he should get a 5% net operating profit, and the way we believe things should happen is $10 million, first line item of expenses, profit, run the business on the $9.5 million. And every client that's worked with us knows that. Now, when you know that and you know what your net profit needs to be and you know what your fixed and your variable costs are, that sort of mandates what your margins need to be. And you need to manage this every day because if you don't, it will only go one direction, and it's not a good direction. We're going to find out in a second if Jay Goltz is listening, because if he is, <laughs> he, he's going to call in. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's not listening for me. He might be listening to you. <laughs> no, he's, he's called in when you've been on the show before, uh, Lou. I remember. And, uh, I remember. Uh, you guys had a good conversation. I think it might have been about uh, prices uh, and Raising maybe about prices. hiring, too. Yeah. So, so what do you do? What does a, one of your clients do if they see things trending in the wrong direction? What kind of 
decisions do you see business owners being reluctant to take to, to manage from the ground up? I think what they look to do, uh, well, reluctant to take to manage from the ground up. I think that they're reluctant to do profits up first because they've never done it before. And in fact, most owners are not bean counters. They're not accountants. And we don't want to make them accountants. It's never our philosophy. But you have to have the best professionals around you that you can. So when we work with folks, our goal is to teach ownership and their internal financial people what's necessary, and then teach the external financial people what we've taught them all internally so that they can continue on with them forever and ever and ever. So we don't get a lot of fight and pushback on the bottom-up philosophy. In fact, I can't tell you we ever get any. It's new to them. They've never done it because they've never been taught to do it, and that's okay. That's well. I want to come back to that because I, I think that when I asked about you know decisions that they might be reluctant to take, what I was thinking is there must be times when someone sees uh, a trend that they don't like, but they're reluctant to take the steps they would need to cut costs, whether that means uh, you know laying someone off or finding a way to reduce expenses that um, makes them uncomfortable. Um, but let's uh, let's take a phone call. We'll come back to that. Um, okay. Bill in Florida, welcome to Mind Your Business. Well, thanks for taking the call. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Well, I'm a plumbing contractor down here, and I'm just getting bigger, and I can't do everything that I used to. And I need, I think I need somebody to come in and start doing my estimates for me, but I don't know how to train them. I've always done it from what I call plumb from here. Well, the uh, the getting bigger part sounds like a, a nice problem to have. Um, Lou, this might be someone who who needs to raise his prices. Do you have any questions uh, for Bill to figure out what his situation is? Yeah, I sort of lost it there a second. What, what kind of business is it? Plumbing. 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 Supplies or contractor? Contractor. Contractor. How many? Um, um, about how many employees do you have, Bill? Uh, well, I've got eight plumbers. You got eight plumbers. Field, so. Okay. Yeah. All right. And did you start the business? Uh, yeah, I did about seven years ago. The company I was working for went out of business. I've been doing this for thirty-two years. Wow. Okay. But, Good for you. Uh, That's fantastic. So, who does your? Who does your? What did you say you're looking for? An estimator or a project manager? What was it? An estimator? No, an estimator. Yeah. So you do the estimates now. Oh, yeah. I, I've oh, yeah. been doing this. You know, I know what a toilet costs and all this other stuff. And then I just, you know, throw other numbers together. And I I seem to come out okay. I got a nice house, nice car. You know, got money for my kids. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> I don't know how to tell them how to do it. Well, so I can't, I can't tell them, my, you know, what's in my head. So have you documented what's in your head? <laughs> uh, that'd be cool. Um, not really. I I, try, I tried to a few times, and it just seemed to get in the way. I can just throw these things numbers together. Yeah, but, but I, I uh, the but problem I, is that I can't I can't transfer it to the guys out in the field. I have to go back out there every time, which causes costs me more time. Well, let me let me just make one or two suggestions to you. If finding okay. some if finding someone to relieve your burden 
and to do the estimates for you matters, start with something simple. Um, number one, um, do they have a, a, do, can you find a body, can you find a person, and do they have the experience in your industry? Number two, if you're going to give them a try, set a floor on a gross profit or on a gross margin that they can't bid below. And then okay. the, last, the last thing that you're not going to like is you got to find a way to do a brain dump. Even if that means I had a client in Arizona years ago that wanted to transfer Lauren all of his information to the next generation and couldn't figure out how to do it. So what we did is we set up a recording studio in his conference room and brought him in for an hour a day in his recording studio and went one topic at a time and picked his brains on his knowledge, his gut feel on why he does what he does. So we created a video catalog of everything that he did in the business in case he got hit by a bus. So, Bill, I'm not going to suggest you do a video catalog, but you got to start to maybe carry a tape recorder around with you. And when you're driving, talking to the recorder on how you look at bidding jobs and then give it to somebody else to transcribe for you. So three steps. Find someone that's got some experience. Set your gross profit margin minimum so you won't go below that. And then start to record how you do what you do. Lou, let me ask you something. Yeah. Those do sound like great suggestions. Let me ask you this. You work with a lot of contractors. Mm -hmm. In this kind of situation, is it typical for a a contractor like Bill to hire someone whose full-time job is to do estimates? Or is it more common to have the the eight plumbers he has working for him uh, take on the role of doing estimates as well as the the plumbing work? I I think you can have a, a little bit of both. Because, quite frankly, I don't know the skill set of the eight individuals. And then you run the risk of not having enough horsepower in the field to do the labor. So, you know, I can see where sometimes you might pull somebody out of the field, spend some time training them, because the ramp up might be quicker. And, and I can understand that. On the offset, if you can't find the laborers that you need, the plumbers that you need, the journeymen that you need, you'd be reluctant to want to pull them out of the field. So since bidding is should be more of a numbers game and a formula-based process rather than an intuitive-based process. I would say probably, I don't know how big the build's business is, but any bid under $25,000 or $10,000, just let the estimator handle it. Anything over 10000 or 25000 Bill should have to sign off on it, but he shouldn't have to do the bid. And you might have some laborers that you can train to do this. I just don't know. Does that make sense to you, Bill? Can, can I throw some? Can I? Yeah. Can I throw something in here? Please. Um, my whole thought was, if if I've got a full time estimator, I can do more estimates, or more estimates can be done for the company, and I can hire more people. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, this we're sort of like, we're pretty you know. full as it is right now. But that's like the chicken and the egg, right? Do you want to have five extra yeah. labor, five extra laborers and no work, or do you want to win the awards and then hope to get the laborers? And you sort of got to do it in tandem. And you, you, you sort of should do it in tandem because you don't want to win stuff and then have to forfeit the contract because you don't have right. the people. And then you know the way it is with GCs and stuff. I don't know if you do commercial work or residential <laughs> work, but you know what it's worth yeah. to them. If you give them a bid and then you got to back up on it, you got a problem. Yeah. Bill, are you turning away business because you can't get out there and, and do the estimate? Uh, 
Well, I've got more estimates. People ask, you know, I, I've been around for, like I said, 32 years, and i got a lot of people that know me. So i got a pretty solid core, but uh, it's leading to more and more people that want to use me because, you know, I don't advertise. These people Sounds like some of the estimates are not getting done, Lauren. What has happened in the past when it when it hasn't worked out? Have you have you actually hired uh, estimators that uh, didn't work out, or did you try using somebody who you already employ? No, I've I've always done the estimates myself. Oh, so you ha- you haven't really tried? Yeah, that's that's what scares me. But just stick with three things: find somebody if it's internal or external. Find somebody. Set your margin so they can't go below it. And then make sure that any dollar level you have to approve above a certain dollar level so you can't get hurt. And you got and then you got to do that brain dump. You got to do it whether you like it or not yeah. because you might, you know, I might be the best estimator that ever walked on the face of the earth for plumbing contractors, but how I do things could be diametrically opposite of how you want things. So you yeah. need to have a brain dump. You want to set somebody up for success, not for failure. So, and I know you don't have time to do that. So get a recorder, put it in your car, do 20, 30 minutes at a time. Have somebody transcribe it for you. Read it on the weekend if you have weekends. Bill, thank you very much for your phone call. Good luck with this. Please give us a call back and let us know how you do. Uh, lose here regularly. We'd love to hear what happens and uh, how it goes next. Uh, if you have a question about your business, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Let's go to Mike in Missouri. Welcome to Mind Your Business, Mike. Hi, Lauren. I uh, love your show. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. What's on your mind? Well, I've been in uh, conversations with my brother for the better part of maybe a year or so. Um, he wants to start up a business uh, doing uh, over-the-road trucking, hauling automobiles, transport um, I know nothing about the business. So two-pronged question. One, what are maybe some of the things in starting up a business that I may not be thinking of or not aware of that uh, that tends to uh, bite people in the rear? And then the second part of the question is, if I trust my brother and we go through with this, what are some things that maybe I can do to protect the, the business and the interest uh, for the risks that I'm taking? Uh, those are two great questions. We could probably spend the whole show on these, Lou. Um, uh, I, the first thing that strikes me, Mike, is your your comment, if I trust my brother, which sounds like a little bit of a loaded question. Do you trust your brother? You know, he's a, he's a, he's a great guy. Um, he knows the business. Uh, I don't work in this business, so I, I kind of have to take him uh, uh, for what he knows and his knowledge. But um uh, at the end of the day, he's my brother. I know uh, of all the knucklehead things he's done when we were kids. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I got to take that into account. <laughs> Lou, what do you think? You've seen a few family businesses in your day. All right, so a couple of things. First of all, um, I don't think I think the best family business is one with one family member. So if you're going to cross that line and have two family members in a business, someone's got to have control. So someone's got to be 51%. That's number one. Do not do 50-50. It's the kiss of death. Someone's got to be 51%. If it's not you, you got nothing. Sorry, you got nothing. Don't know you or your brother. Number two, clearly defined roles for whoever's working the business. And their compensation should be tied to performance. 
Splitting profits as an owner is separate. Compensation needs to be tied to performance. So if you're the investor and your brother's the operating partner, compensation should be tied to performance. So some modest, modest base pay. The rest tied to performance. And then you can both split whatever profits or losses you may have. But I'm going to tell you, I can give you five, ten things you might want to consider. But if you don't listen to number one, you're making a mistake. And number one is you need somebody needs to have control. And if it's not you, what are you doing? If Mike, uh, you said that you have no experience in uh, in this business, the trucking business, uh, but your brother does. Tell us a little bit about uh, his experience and you know what he thinks the market would be that's out there for you guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, it's, a, it's a situation of. Uh, you know, he can build a better mousetrap. Um, he's in the industry. He's actually been an operator. He's moved up uh, uh, over time uh, into management roles. Uh, so he's familiar with dispatching. He knows the players. He knows uh, outfits that he can use to, to uh, get the work. Uh, so he's totally 100% operational uh, from that stand, uh, standpoint. Uh, my, my contribution, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in project management in, in a different industry, so I'm not uh, unfamiliar with working with numbers and that type of thing. So I'm definitely the, uh, the back-end uh, business manager type, so to speak. Uh, so I think um, you know, he wants a, a situation uh, where he can you know, kind of do this on his own, um, and, and I'm handling the business affairs of, of that. Plus, I'm, I'm also the, the, the money side of it as well. I was waiting for that. Um... You know, if I can offer, last time I checked, Every trucking company in the United States complains of one thing. They can't find drivers. They can't get drivers. They can't keep drivers. Why would we go into a business today that I'm going to imagine would require a significant capital investment in equipment to try and bring on drivers that everybody's struggling with? And I don't know what the margins in this business would be. I see a lot of car haulers going up and down the Florida Turnpike all the time. I have no clue what the margins in this business would be. But if it's something you're dead set on doing, number one, a real business plan. Number two, uh, you both got to be held accountable to some standard, especially the operating partner. And then number three, somebody's got to have 51% control. Or I'm going to tell you sooner or later, Rome's going to burn. <laughs> So, so, Mike, who's going to have 51% control? Well, I, I, I don't think I would do it if I didn't have that control, to be honest with you. So you're listening? I, I, well, I'd like to think so. Do you have a plan uh, yeah, in yeah. terms of finding drivers? I'm sure you've talked uh, about that. No, it's been uh, uh, it's been uh, the idea's been uh, been kind of percolating for again for six months to a year now. Um, you know, I think the my brother I think is a little pie in the sky to a degree. I'm nervous. Um, you know, certainly I don't want to leave a full time job that's been very good to me and my family uh, just to uh, pursue something that uh, you know my brother uh, uh, is putting all his chips on the table, so to speak. So uh, I want to make sure that we do our, our research, our due diligence, and if there's any advice uh, uh, that I can get along the way from. Uh, uh, 
trusted sources, and I would be more than happy to, to apply that to, to that. So it's not it's something that I would be interested in doing, but it's got to be under the right circumstances. And I'm just afraid that I, I don't if I miss a detail, particularly in an industry I don't know, that could be death. So. Well, think about um, think about sure. this. Think think about this if you don't mind. I don't. I, I guess you buy or you lease these rigs and the tractor trailers. I guess you buy them. So someone's going to go. Someone's going on the hook for that, especially with a new business. Someone's going to sign personal guarantee. It sounds someone. like that would be Mike. Uh, it sounds like it to me. That's number one. Number two. Let's say you get fortunate enough to get a good deal on the equipment, and then you are able to attract six, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen drivers. But I would suggest you might want to consider with them is make them sign a non-compete, make them sign a non-disclosure agreement, and give them a percentage of equity in everything they do, above and beyond a paycheck, by their loyalty. A couple of points will go you a long way, since everybody's trying to steal drivers by raising their pay. Someone that's got an equity stake is a lot more loath to switch than someone that doesn't. Okay. Mike, let me ask you this. Uh, is your brother in a position to uh, bring business with him, is there any reason to think that, the, you know, the day you open your doors, there's going to be revenue there waiting for you? You, you know, in our conversations, um, that, that question, I've asked that question several times, and uh, each time it's answered the same way, which is uh, absolutely, um, you know, uh, uh, can bring business with me. Um, again, uh, the, the gut feel tells me, it's probably not as simple as that, or there maybe there's repercussions to doing that. I don't know. Um, again, it's uh, me kind of navigating waters in an industry I'm not familiar with, and talking with uh, not just my brother, but but a but a but a person that's in the industry and knows infinitely more about it than me. So, um, so I'm always a little bit leery. Even what he says, like I said, is is this pie in the sky, or is this something that's really scalable and we can be successful at? Um, so. Uh, he seems to think that that there's plenty of business out there. For, Lou, is, for is there any way you could suggest to test that? How, how do you how do you challenge uh, Mike's brother to to prove that that business will be there? Well, I think Mike needs to talk to one or two of these potential customers that he thinks his brother might be able to switch over, and Mike needs to hear that himself. And the second thing I think is that, look, I don't know where his brother works or what he does. But he might have a non-compete with his existing employer, and then you're opening up another can of worms, try and steal their clients and steal their business and probably try to steal some of their drivers. And, you know, that's just another war you might want might wind up uh, being in that you didn't bank on. So if it were me, I'd want to talk to one, two, or three of these potential switchovers and see why they would consider it. And most times they're going to switch over for one of two reasons. Number one, you're giving them a better price. Well, there goes your margin, right? And number two, they're not happy with the service. Well, you've got to find out why if your brother was in the middle of that equation. So I just think you have a lot more holds here than you have clear path at the moment. I'm going to have to take a break here. Mike, thank you very much for your phone call. Really appreciate it. We'd love to hear how it works out. Uh, please let us know if you decide to move forward. Uh, we're going to be right back with Lou Mosca after this short break. Our number is 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. If you've got a question or a comment, our producer, Michelle, is standing by. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, and this is Business Radio powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Here again is Lauren Feldman. 
Welcome back to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. We're talking to Lou Mosca and taking your calls. Lou is Chief Operating Officer of American Management Services and a regular contributor at Forbes.com. On Twitter, he's at Mosca Small Biz. If you have a question or a comment about your business, give us a call. Our number is 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. We were just talking to Mike, who's thinking about getting into the trucking business uh, with his brother. As questions about, He had questions both about the trucking business and starting a business and about starting one with a family member. Uh, we've got a caller on the line now, Bridget in Colorado, who I believe is in the hauling business and may have some advice for Mike. Uh, welcome to the show, Bridget. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for calling. No worries. I, I had a couple two cents um, to share with him. I'm a recycler in the hauling business, have 18-wheelers coming all the time, can move recyclables from our warehouse. So I'm dealing with truckers constantly, and I also employ 8 to 10 drivers, depending on the, the day of the week. So a couple things. Please. I, don't, I do not feel like... Well, A, I would never go into business with my brother or my sister. <laughs> and I love them to death, but lose right while you would be opening yourself up for a whole lot of pain in so many ways, not just financially. But if you want to remain on good standing, I, I just wouldn't do it. That's Did you learn this feeling. lesson the hard way, Bridget? Did you go through such an experience? You know what? I, I, the first company I started, I've owned three, um, was with a best friend. And boy, that was a really, you know, in business school, they teach you, you know, unless you have to have them as your partner, you're better off to go it alone. And that's, that's so accurate. I cannot emphasize that enough. Absolutely do not partner with somebody unless you really need their expertise and you can both bring something phenomenal to the table. Um, I, I would highly suggest him not doing that. It sounded like he had a great source of revenue and he has a family i would not walk away from that whatsoever if he thought he could pull this off with his brother and was still willing to go through that trial to see if it would work do not let go of your money um maybe if you could do it part-time that would be a lot safer um just yeah speaking from experience um don't don't go down that road also in the trucking industry and i and you guys were mentioning a little bit about this there's so many variables so when I'm hiring a trucking company, I'm going for the best price. Absolutely. And so um, unless a company is so specific with hauling, so let's take, for example, when I need to get a trash truck from Arizona to Colorado, there's only one company that I know of that does that. So that's a real specific thing. If he and his brother are going to do something really specific, I think there's more of a market for them to break into. Otherwise, so you can't control fuel. You can't control insurance costs. And depending how big you are, insurance goes up and the age of your vehicles and vehicle fixing vehicles. I know I deal with this constantly. There's specific formulas that you can use. But then again, it goes right back to what Lou said about um, being competitive and why wouldn't they use company B or C over you based on price. So that's kind of a couple things that I was thinking of. I've been very fortunate to keep employees um, on average 10 years because I treat them so well because I know how hard it is to hire drivers. Did, did you say, does that include them. drivers that you've been able to keep that long? Yes, yes. But I treat them like I would want to be treated. Here's your route for the day. This needs to happen. If you have a kid thing that comes up in the morning, deal with the family stuff first. Family comes first, but then come in and please get your route done. 
you know, if we have to move a couple things the next day, I need to know immediately. But that that's worked so well, you know, not in that business, Bridget, how much do you think it's about what you pay them and how much it is? Is it about how you treat them? Um, it's more about how you treat them. Absolutely. But you also have to pay them a fair wage. Otherwise, they're going to go somewhere else and they're going to look for employment in other places. I've had guys leave, um, realize the grass is not greener somewhere else. The hours actually probably sucked compared to what I was giving them. You know what I mean? <laughs> they could care less if they were married or had a kid issue. It was all about you better be here. You better get your route done. You better, you know, whatever they were doing, whatever they're hauling. So there's definitely, I have more empathy. And that's how I've been able to retain people much, much longer. I've had people ask me, why do they stay with you? And I'm like, well, A, I'm fun, but B, I really care. And they know that, and I thank them constantly. And I'm always looking for extra little things I can do to, to as a, a bonus or a benefit or, you know, just a pat on the back. And that goes a very, very long way. I hope Mike is still listening. Lou, any thoughts? Um, Bridget, uh, I think you sound amazing. When did you start? Did you start this business, ma'am? I did, yeah. Um, gosh, almost, yeah, a little over 20 years ago. 20 years ago, okay. So would you start yep. it today? Um, not with the family that I have now. When I started it, I was right out of college, um, wasn't married, didn't have children. I have all of those things now. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to lose and everything to gain, and I had already fallen on my face really hard a couple times. Well, that's pretty, but, but, but that's pretty cool because that gives you perspective on having a newfound success. I look at it now and I'm like, of any industry of so many different things you can do in life where so many people are struggling to find drivers, you know, to pick a profession where you're going to be dependent on drivers and a lot of capital expenditures to get started on equipment mm-hmm. is, is challenging. Now, I want to compliment you because... I think anybody that works for me or you or Lauren or anyone that they're working for you just for money, you're going to lose them. I don't know what day, but you're going to lose them. And in today's day and age, and I still wrestle with this myself, Mr. Feldman, in today's day and age, you know, there has to be an appreciation, an understanding, a compassion, and a respect that matches and mirrors a fair compensation. I think it's got to be both. And I think a lot of owners struggle with that concept more than people well, want to admit. Well, Bridget, let me ask you about that because, yeah. you know, it sounds really easy. I mean, who, who could argue with you have to treat your employees well? Everybody, <laughs> that, that makes sense to everybody. But where it's difficult and where I think some owners struggle is there, there is a cost to doing that at a certain point, depending on what you're, you're doing for your employees. So, for example, you're being willing to be flexible with schedules. Does that occasionally cause problems for you? I mean, you, you, you're on a, uh, a schedule. You, you have to make deliveries at a certain time. What, what happens when that creates problems? We, and we've grown with this over the years. Used to be when I was a lot younger, I would, I would, you know, get upset and I'd be like, we have to get this done or I would have to go get in a truck and finish a route. Now, thank God I have backup drivers. You know what I mean? And we can just shuffle, shuffle. If a driver's repeatedly not able to finish something, though, we have huge issues and we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting and I'm going to talk about things need to happen. This is why, you know, all those things. Um, I'd be lying if I said it was easy. It's never easy. I think Every business owner has always got glass balls in the air that they are just trying their best to juggle. You just need to pick 
I don't know, be very careful and choose your battles. So, well, if you have backup drivers, that that means you know you're coping with this issue by paying money. You you have people available to to solve this problem. But we have so many extra pickups that happen throughout the week. People call in for paper shredding. People call in with extra electronics they need recycled. There's so many different facets of what we do that I have to have a backup guy. You know, honestly, I could have right now two backup guys. I, You know, you guys were talking about having enough money and then hiring the right people for that. I go back and forth with that all the time. What's the magic formula? When do you hire another person? It really goes down to, like, how much – how much do we need to have every month in extra savings to cover all those expenses with truck stuff that happens when you don't you know, expect it? And it's, it's a guess. So, no, would I get into hauling, having never done it before as a profession? Uh, no. I would go into more something where you were um, helping other people, where you didn't have so many variables you couldn't control. Anything um, you know, was less variables. Yeah, and what happens is, you know, you start the business 10 or 20 years ago, and you have degrees of success, and then the business starts to become part of your DNA and vice versa. So you're, you're in it, now you have to invest more, and it's more time, and it's more energy, and it's more people, and it's more investment, and it's more equipment, and it just becomes a little bit of the hamster wheel. If you can find a way to have that balance where you can enjoy, you enjoy your family, which you seem to do, and have people that are accountable and respectful of what you're trying to accomplish and you treat them fairly, that's a good thing. But, Lauren, I will never hire anybody that comes to me just because they want to make more money. It will never happen. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Do you have any advice for Bridget, Lou, uh, on the issue of uh, how you decide when it's time to, to hire that next employee? Uh, is there a magic formula to figure out whether you're ready for uh, another body or not? I actually think the, um, the hiring an employee – I'm going to guess here. I don't know Bridget's business, obviously, more than what she's told us. But I think that, you know, to me, when you're bumping up against that ceiling and you're turning away some work and you're struggling to meet those delivery timelines, even with your one backup guy, you know, hiring the employees can be relatively inexpensive compared to the level of work, the incremental business you can put on. So you've got to figure out a way to do some type of ROI. On the flip side, I don't know how much of this you've listened to today, Bridget, but I'm a believer, we're a believer in, you know, um, uh, bottom-up reporting. And the reason I say this to you is because uh, whatever degree of success you're having, there should be a certain percentage return that the owner gets every month. Now, whether you take it physically in a distribution for yourself or, you know, it's part of the business building up equity, that's all fine. But there should be a specific return you mandate as an owner that you insist is going to happen. And you get that through your pricing and your efficiency and how you treat your people. And you might want to take a percentage of that and allocate that towards new equipment or allocate that towards that extra driver to give you some flexibility or or something like that. And if you'd like to talk about it, I'd be happy to help you with it. Oh, thank you so much. Bridget, thank you for your call. I'm going to let you go in a second, but I just have one question. Yeah, it sounds You said before that you might not start this business today because you have a, a family and other commitments um, and that would make it difficult, but it's, it does sound, as Lou said, as though you're, you're coping well with that now. You've figured out a way to, to get that balance that so many people are after. Was, if that's the case, was there anything you learned that really helped you uh, find that balance that works for you? Was there uh, a key moment where you figured something out? Well, I've learned all along. It's always ask. It's always easier 
to ask forgiveness than permission. I wouldn't be in business if I had to ask permission every time I did something. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think plus I'm a super go-getter. I would have made any business that I wanted to put that much energy into work. But I think when somebody's thinking of starting a business from scratch, they need to be passionate about it to start with. And it didn't sound like Mike was passionate about trucking. It sounded like he was passionate about being a good brother. And so that's why I wanted to caution him with all these variables, getting into an industry that is, you know, so rampant with other competition. You know, maybe maybe if his brother wants to do something, you know, that specific with the hauling industry, like I was mentioning, the need to haul large equipment, you know, because there's more money in that, or hauling personal property for extremely wealthy individuals, i.e., you know, campers and whatnot across the country. I need it here tomorrow. You know, there's a huge need for those kinds of things. If he can break into that, but just the traditional hauling, I was just going to caution against it. If I was going to do something else, um, I'm going to, I'm actually in the process of writing a book to empower women to bootstrap businesses, to give them permission to just do it. Um, and then, you know, see where see where that can take them so yeah i, I think i answered your question i'm not 100 percent sure you you answered a number of questions probably better than the one i asked um you that, know what lauren yes if um you know not knowing the financial aspect of bridget's business there's two things that jump out at me she said before she had some bumps and bruises before she launched this business so obviously not afraid to swing the bat not afraid to have a failure in the moment. It's not failure in life. It's a specific timeline, and you learn from it. But, boy, if you're not willing to swing that bat and you don't bleed and love that business like it's your child, just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Don't do it. Bridget, thank you for your phone call. I'm going to suggest that you check out uh, the uh, smallgiants.org um, organization. It sounds like you're running your business, especially from the, the bootstrap uh, philosophy, uh, in a way that's consistent with it. I don't know if you've seen the, the Forbes Small Giants list that we've produced the last few years at no, Forbes. No, I haven't, but I will check that out. If so you Google I it, I, th I think you might find it interesting. Okay. It sounds like it's pretty consistent with, uh, with the way you run your business. Thank you so much for calling in. It was really great to speak with you. If you have a question about your business, we're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Mr. Mosca, we've had some great uh, conversations today, some great questions, but I can't let you leave without asking you about your favorite topic, which these days I think is Elon Musk. Um, you uh, you spent a lot of time following and tweeting and uh, speaking in your in the videos that you publish about him. What, what's your latest? What are you thinking these days? Um, you know, I, you know, you and I have discussed this probably a couple of times over the last three or four months, and my my position has not changed. Um, you know, it, it's kind of tough to throw a rock at someone that's worth, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty billion dollars. That is basically, <laughs> basically self-made. It right? comes easy to us in the media business. You know, that's that's, I never, that's what I we're never, here for. I never noticed. Okay, <laughs> so but but I, I think it's kind of tough to throw a rock at someone that has created such great financial success for themselves, and I applaud that. My my position on Elon Musk is the following. Um, I, I'm, I'm led to believe that his original wealth was developed through whatever he did at PayPal or whatever the concept was to get PayPal going. I question how much of the implementation and management and operations of PayPal he was involved in. Having said that, 
It's a service. It's not manufacturing anything. And then I look at SpaceX, which I think is the coolest thing in the world, and I wonder about why it was merged with Tesla. Was it merged with Tesla to create this great synergy going forward, which the only way you ever know is in time. You know, To promote it on day one is irrelevant. Ask me five or ten years from now. Ask yourself five or ten years ago from now. Did it generate this synergy, this marketability that would not have happened elsewise? Or was the merger done because you got two failing companies from a financial perspective, not from a creativity perspective, from a financial perspective? Because I, I believe there's a lot of great concepts and a lot of great ideas that don't turn into money. So then I think about the boring company, which I think is the most Insane name I've ever heard. <laughs> Boring company. Well, you have to explain for those who haven't heard of it. It, it <laughs> doesn't mean that this company puts people to sleep. Uh, it bores through ground. Right. It bores through ground. It's supposed to make tunnels so think people can commute differently or or be transported differently. And I, you know, I think again. I think the SpaceX concept is amazing. I actually think the boring concept might bear fruit. I don't know when might bear fruit, but if it's not bearing fruit, it's costing money. Where's that coming from? So I, I think about these things, and I, and then you get back to the mothership, right? You get back to Tesla. And I, I just think even the fact that he chose the Tesla name, I think could be a little misleading. So um, I'm not a historian. I'm just some simple guy that looks at balance sheets and income statements and how a business gets run. And if you're not profitable, what's the point? So he's got a $10.5 billion company, give or take, out there in California, and we don't make money. Now, the truth is he's at risk. The shareholders are at risk. They're all adults. They made their decisions, whether it's the uh, hedge funds that put money in or whoever did. They all made their decisions. But at some point, if we're not making money consistently quarter after quarter, if we're not cash flow positive quarter after quarter, the ones that are going to get hurt are the employees. Well, They're let me the ask you, you know, people yeah. used to complain that Amazon and, uh, wasn't making money uh, for years. Um, and now Jeff Bezos is the wealthiest man in the world. Uh, how do you decide? How long is too long to wait for the, the profits to... I, I think there was a difference. I, I think there was an absolute difference. When you go back to Amazon before, it seems before they launched their cloud services, profitability was always a struggle. Then they launched cloud services, and profitability kicked in. But Amazon, to me, had a plan. And Amazon's plan was, we're actually going to replace all the Barnes and Nobles of the world. That's how they started, right? It was with the books and the nooks and all these other things they did. And I might have the words wrong, but they had a strategy. And I think nook was a Barnes and Noble oh, it product. It might be right. might be right. <laughs> You're thinking right. of the but Kindle. The Kindle. There you go. So, But they had a strategy. And, yes, there was a lot of yelling for when they're going to be profitable, when's it going to be profitable, and people kept throwing money at it. It all happened. The difference was they didn't make anything. They weren't manufacturing. They weren't investing billions into equipment all the time. Yes, they had to have the distribution facilities, and yes, they had to have all that goes along with the distribution facility, but it's not manufacturing. It's not robotics. It's not all these people having to torque these wrenches to do this. It's totally different capital-intensive business. And when you're doing $10 billion as a car manufacturer, you're not a decimal point. 
Well, the other thing is there's no big financial risk if you're debating whether or not to buy a book from a company. Uh, if you're debating right now whether to buy a Tesla, I think there's a very different kind of uh, logic that goes into that. Well, I think you read my mind, right? Because I, I, you know, my wife and I had a conversation a week ago. I wanted to get her a new vehicle, and she said she loves the Tesla, and, um, and, but she's terrified that they might not be there in two, three, four years, and then how are you going to service it? Where are you going to get the parts? So she said, I'll stick with what I'm driving for now, and maybe we'll revisit it in a year or two. And I think Tesla's fortunes would change dramatically if two things happen. You've got to change the board. Because you can't just be him, he and his brother controlling everything. You've got to change the port. And number two, you've got to have two or three quarters of consistent profitability and being cash flow positive. And I don't know if that leadership group is capable of doing it. And, in fact, to date, they have not. And now add to that, add to that, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Mercedes-Benz is going to start pushing out electric vehicles. And they got the money. The, their competition is coming from everywhere now. Correct. Lou Mosca, as always, thank you once again for joining us today. Always Hope a pleasure. To see you in a couple of weeks, my friend. You will indeed. Okay. If you want to keep up with Lou, go to amserve.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Mosca Small Biz. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but the good news is here we're here live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And we'll look forward to taking your calls and chatting with you next week. My thanks to audio engineer Dion Simpkins and producer Michelle Stucker. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter, at L Feldman. And if you liked what you heard here, check out the Oxford Morning Report, our daily newsletter of quick takes for entrepreneurs. You can find it by Googling the Oxford Morning Report. Until next time, I'm Lauren Feldman, and this has been Mind Your Business on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. Thanks for listening, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 